The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special Investor's Business Daily installment of Barron's Live. It's Alyssa Quorum here, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Ken Shreve. And on the show today, we're going to be talking about how to supercharge your portfolio with ETFs. We're going to talk about how we use them to spot sector rotation, what you should know about leveraged ETFs, how you can gain market exposure with ETFs, looking at thematic ETFs, and so much more. There's a lot of ground to cover, Ken, and we already have so many great questions from the audience before this episode has even started, and I know we'll get a lot more great comments throughout the next 30 minutes, but like I said, there's a lot of ground to cover here when it comes to utilizing ETFs. Well, no, uh, no doubt about it. They, uh, they're still wildly popular. They first uh, were introduced, uh, say, in the early to mid-1990s. Um, and I haven't seen data from 2022 yet, but I do know that uh, ETF inflows in uh, 2021 topped $1 trillion, with a T, $1 trillion uh, for the first time. So they're still wildly uh, popular, and for, and for good reason. And it seems like every day there's a new uh, ETF uh, fund family that's coming out with, uh, with new offerings. So a lot, uh, a lot to choose from. A a lot of different ways uh, to use them. So uh, let's let's get to it. That's right. Yeah, there's there's an ETF for everything, it seems like these days and so many clever tickers as well, which I, I always get a little giggle out of when the, they can come up with a clever ticker to go along with whatever that ETF is tracking. But before we dive into things like sector rotation and market exposure, let's first just go over a couple of the main benefits of ETFs, Ken, I mean, primarily, that, first of all, that diversification that you get that can be so helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think ETFs uh, first really became popular because they're they're basically mutual funds that uh, that trade like stocks and uh, you know there's a lot of great uh, great funds out there but uh, some of the better performers uh, tend to have pretty pretty high uh, front end loads or back end loads or just high expense fees in, in general and uh, you know ETFs uh, basically like I said they trade like a mutual fa- uh, fund during the day you can you can buy and sell just like uh, an individual stock and they're um, you know they're very they're very tax efficient and they're very cheap uh, to trade. So uh, it's just become a a great alternative to uh, uh, to mutual funds. And um, that's why they've that's why they've become so, uh, so popular. Yeah. And I think another thing to keep in mind to sort of set the stage here as we dig in deeper is to know what you own with ETFs, because you can have ETFs that have equal weights. You could have ETFs that are heavily weighted in a couple of stocks. So it's really important to do your research when you're looking into a theme or a sector or what have you to really make sure you know what you own inside those ETFs. Well, there's no question about it. Some uh, some ETFs have, uh, you know, some some stocks that are a 20% uh, weighting. A lot of ETFs, uh, you know, tend to 
uh, the the weightings are are fairly equal from uh, from top to bottom. But some uh, you know some have a couple of stocks that might make up thirty or forty percent of the ETF. So knowing what you own is is very important. Uh, and you also want to pay attention to trading volume because there's a lot of ETFs out there that trade uh, less than a hundred thousand shares right. a day. So liquidity is something that you want to uh, look at. I mean, if you're a retail investor and you're buying a you know a hundred couple hundred uh, uh, shares, maybe an average daily trading volume of, uh, of 75,000 uh, isn't a big deal. But if you're a mutual fund, I mean, mutual funds own uh, ETFs uh, too, but they're typically going to look at a lot more liquid uh, ETFs and, and avoid those that uh, trade a, a very light trading volume. Absolutely. And one more note on sort of the, the weightings in ETFs. Sometimes it can be favorable. So, the, so it's not to say, oh, only go with equal weight ETFs. I mean, sometimes you can really get even more juice or you know, really supercharge your portfolio uh, without having that single stock risk if you do have uh, some more of that concentration in those top weightings. So it, it really depends on what you're seeing underneath the surface, what's going on with overall market conditions. And I think that's actually a great segue to our next topic, Ken, which is not just buying ETFs for your portfolio, but first of all, just using ETFs to spot where there's strength in the market. I mean, like this year, we've seen technology really come into the fore, whereas last year it was really all about energy. So we're seeing some of those shifts uh, underneath the surface on a, on a sector level. And one way to spot that is with ETFs. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I, I think, you know, on our, our leaderboard uh, model portfolio that we run at Investors Business Daily, we have uh, uh, we, uh, six ETFs, uh, and that, that's the most that we've owned uh, in, in, in quite some time. But um, uh, so we've got uh, exposure to the semiconductor uh, sector, to the retail sector. You know, the stock market uh, came under, has come under a lot of pressure as interest rates have been uh, uh, rising again and money has been flowing out of bonds, and that's kind of spooked uh, the stock market, but uh, kind of, you know, paying attention to uh, sector rotation and, you know, uh, I know oil had a big, uh, a big sell off on, on Friday. And, and so that uh, fueled some selling in the XLE. So you just want to pay attention to, uh, to sector trends and, and uh, that, that's a great way to do it is with uh, exchange traded funds. Here's uh, the XLE, uh, which, I think the top weightings here are uh, Exxon, uh, Exxon Mobil, and um, Chevron. Uh, yeah. Chevron, exactly, exactly. And you can see a big gap down below the 50-day moving average. Uh, so, um, you know, this is uh, kind of bearish uh, technical action for for XLE. But uh, again, lots of lots of different ways to play different uh, sectors. If you're if you're long energy, if you think energy price and oil prices are are going up, you know, you look at the price action of XLE today. Uh, tells me that um, maybe the, the chances of higher oil prices uh, from here might, might not be so good. Right. So this is one way that we can uncover sector rotation. So if you just compare and contrast, here's a look at XLE. We can even look at a, a weekly chart here. I mean, there's no doubt that the first half of 2022 was really dominated by energy. Let's take a look at XLK. This is the sector spider ETF tracking the technology sector. And you can see it really uh, coming to life here as 2023 kicks off, breaking a downtrend. So trending higher as we see XLE go flat 
sideways and, and even down. So that's, that's just a signal of, of where money is rotating in the market. I know something else that we also like uh, doing, Ken, is you can see by what sector ETFs are, are the standouts on a particular day to sort of get a gauge of the risk appetite as well in the market. Is this a, a risk on day? Is this a, a day that people are going more towards the, the staples and the more defensive areas of the market? Uh, you know, the, the consumer staples or utilities that can kind of also just give you a sense of the vibe, as it were, of risk appetite in the market. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to just go back to the weekly chart for XLE for for a second and just uh, talking really talking about the the weakening uh, technical technical picture here. You mentioned uh, obviously it was a big winner in uh, in 2021 and it recently tried to come out of this uh, uh, consolidation. Uh, just just recently, and uh, just really had a hard time making headway. Now it's been right. bumping up against uh, prior highs, and uh, now it's really flirting with a, a break of a longer term uh, support level here. It's still holding above it, but the uh, the relative strength line again with these market smith charts when we're assessing the health of an ETF, you know, we'd like to see a, a, a nice a nice relative strength line trending higher. Uh, you can see with XLE, the the relative strength line has been trending lower as the stock as the ETF has been moving uh, sideways. So right. what's critical to watch right now for XLE is if it's going to hold uh, this longer term uh, support level, the uh, this 40 week moving average on the on the weekly chart, but um, looking, uh, looking much weaker now than it did in 2021. Right. Well, now that we know how to spot sector rotation, then then what do we do with that information? There's a couple of actionable uh, ways that you can go about taking action based on where you're seeing the money flowing. One is, all right, so if we know that money is flowing into technology, well, let's take a look at leading stocks in the tech sector and try to find buying opportunities there. But if all of the stocks in the group become quickly extended, Ken, going with the ETF over an individual name might be the way to go. I mean, SMH is a good example here. We've seen a lot of chip stocks really kick it into high gear in 2023, but many of the leading names in this sector became quickly extended from their moving averages. So past the time that we would consider proper buying opportunities, but then that's where you could look to an ETF to get exposure to a theme. Yeah, I mean, uh, SMH is uh, just one uh, one ETF that we currently have on uh, on leaderboard, and we put uh, SMH on uh, January twenty third, right around two thirty six, uh, two thirty seven. So it's given uh, it's given some uh, some of the gains uh, back, and now we're kind of watching it to see if it can hold this uh, short term support level. Um, again, the, the the stock market has come under pressure. A big reason why the Nasdaq has been uh, performing so well since we saw that initial sign of strength on January six is the the leadership in uh, in semiconductor stocks so um, and again higher interest rates are are starting to become a problem again here but uh, we're still holding uh, SMH uh, but we actively manage uh, leaderboards so if we start to see sell signals uh, whether it's an individual stock or an ETF uh, we won't be afraid to uh, you know to, to take some profits or, or cut losses so at this point uh, SMH is really just about a battle here at the 21 day uh, moving average it's trying to hold the line uh, right now, uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out.
Yeah, and you bring up something that relates to a question that we have from the audience. Rick is asking, what are the best sell signals to use for ETFs, whether you are a swing trader, so maybe a couple days to a couple weeks time frame versus a position trader, couple weeks to a couple months, ideally, if market conditions are favorable, and how that differs from the buy and sell signals that you would use for individual stocks. It seems like when it comes to sector and thematic ETFs, the rules would be pretty similar for buying and selling. But when we talk about getting market exposure, maybe that's where we treat things a little bit differently. But what do you think about buy and sell rules for ETFs? You know, I, I really try to keep it the same uh, as I do with uh, with individual stocks. So, like I said, with SMH, you know, we're just kind of w- watching to see how this uh, how this performs at uh, short term support levels. If it uh, if it breaks below this uh, 21 day line, uh, you know, it's not the end of the world, but our gain is going to be our gain is going to be getting smaller and uh, smaller. So, your two top holdings here are Taiwan Semiconductor and uh, Nvidia. But uh, in terms of sell signals, I use uh, the same sell signals as I do with uh, with individual stocks. I watch the short term support levels like the 10 day and the 21 day line and then longer term support levels like the 50 day and the uh, the 200 day moving average and uh, watching the volume too uh, in an ETF. Sometimes volume will really expand. Uh, you can see as we're looking at SMH right now, volume is about 45 percent uh, above average. So we're seeing some some volume uh, in the market uh, today, at least uh, tracking a little bit of above average in SMH. But I would say the sell signals are, are the same with ETFs as with uh, individual uh, individual stocks. You just want to watch how they're behaving around uh, around key support levels. And, uh, you know, if you if you see, you know, you just, just watch volume on up days, watch volume on down days. One reason the market rally has been working so well since um, since early January is that we've seen, particularly on the on the NASDAQ, and maybe, you know, if you want to pull up QQQ here real quick, you can see all the volume that has been um, behind the NASDAQ uh, during its recent uh, ascent. We've seen some, you know, above average volume uh, increases and some lower volume declines. Now we're at a point where QQQ is starting to, you know, a higher volume decline yesterday, uh, and the QQQ also uh, testing this uh, this 21-day line here. So why Watching volume, watching how an ETF reacts around key support levels uh, is uh, is what you want to be doing. Exactly. And uh, an anonymous question came in asking, how do we determine the right buy and sell prices for ETFs? And if, if we are using similar rules, just adding to what you were saying, Ken, looking for uptrends, looking for price consolidations, looking for pullbacks to moving averages and those patterns in volume and looking at support and resistance. So those are some of the core things that we look at when we're looking at uh, proper entries. There was also another question of how do I find uh, the best ETFs? Well, uh, once you're trading a lot, you start to come up with a list of what the various index tracking ETFs are, what the the top sector ETFs are to look at. And we're covering those all the time, whether it's on IUBD Live, at investors.com, to really show our our audiences where the money is flowing. But if you want to come up with a list or or find a list, we have lists of ETFs um, available where you could just go through like you would screen for individual stocks. You could take a a look at those ETFs and, and get those clues about where we're seeing money flowing in the market. 
Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And um, I I just think that, uh, you know, especially looking at these uh, these market ETFs, the, the longer the longer you trade them, and again, the more stories that you're reading at investors.com. Uh, I know every week on IBD Weekly, we've got a special section devoted to exchange uh, traded funds. So every week there, and then uh, daily uh, coverage at investors.com uh, as well. So as you start trading them, you'll, you'll start to gravitate towards uh, uh, you know the names uh, the names that have have interest uh, to you. But uh, certainly, you know the index ETFs, the sector ETFs. There's uh, a lot to lot to choose from out there. Yes, there is. So let's talk a little bit more about index tracking ETFs. And there are so many of them. A popular one is QQQ, which is tracking the NASDAQ 100. SPY, SPY, obviously tracking the S&P 500. You can get uh, double or triple leveraged versions of these. Uh, you know, double for the Qs would be QLD. Triple would be TQQQ uh, for SPY. You've got UPRO as your your triple leveraged version there, and you've got the inverse versions of these as well. So you can use ETFs to get market exposure at key turning points, also to hedge your portfolio. But first, let's talk about how uh, we might gain exposure to the market with index tracking ETFs at a key market turning point, because maybe there aren't a lot of stocks that are in quality setups. But if the market is trying to make a move, we want to be there when it does. Yeah, we we did uh, we did well with uh, with UPRO, which is the uh, the the triple S and P five hundred, and we haven't used this uh, much, and we don't uh, we don't own it uh, now, but uh, um, yeah, we 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 put UPRO out. UPRO on uh, down uh, in late uh, late 2020 and really capitalized on a nice uh, uptrend for the market. More recently, uh, interestingly enough, I mentioned this uh, buy signal that we got uh, in the market on January 6th uh, when we saw you know follow through days for the Nasdaq and the S&P 500. And on January 6th, we put on the RSP, which is uh, probably a, a index uh, ETF that people may not be familiar with, but this is just the equal weighted version of the S&P 500. So you have SPY, which is uh, market cap, and um, RSP, which is, uh, which is equal weighted. So there you, she, Allie highlighted uh, where, we, uh, where we put it on. And you know, it's come under a little bit of uh, pressure here, still holding a nice, uh, a nice gain in this ETF and you know, trading a little bit below its 21-day uh, moving average uh, as we're looking at this, but uh, trading kind of in the middle of its range. So we'll see if it can hold around this uh, this 150 level. Uh, the break of that uh, that 21 day line could you know bring a visit to the 50 day moving average in, into play. Um, and we'll see we'll see what happens. But it's uh, kind of trading in orderly fashion right now and, and nicely above our initial entry on January 6th. Yeah. And then also for inverse ETFs, perhaps that's a way to hedge your portfolio. SQQQ may be a popular vehicle for that. That is the inverse of the NASDAQ 100. Uh, I know, Ken, or I believe you've also used the inverse of the S&P at uh, potential turning points in the market, maybe like when, when we're getting overheated. I feel like that's usually the best time to go with um, an inverse ETF is when you're seeing the market getting really extended from the moving averages. Maybe you have uh, some big cushions in, in a lot of stocks. And if you are anticipating a market pullback, hedging could be something that traders are interested in doing. 
Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And with uh, so with the S and P five hundred, you've got basically three, you know, short uh, ETFs. You've got the the SH, which is basically you know I'm going to go short uh, the S and P five hundred. And you know what's interesting here is you can see with the market acting so well, this has really you know come off uh, off high. So uh, and now what you see is a is, is an ETF that is in a pronounced downtrend that is going to have a lot of overhead supply to work through here. So it could get back up to that 50-day moving average uh, that could turn into a resistance level where it gets turned away. And even if it rallies above that, it still has that 200-day line. So a lot of these short ETFs, uh, even though a lot of people, again, are worried about interest rates and we may be, you know, maybe on the verge of another leg down for the market, the technical picture of these short ETFs uh, don't really tell me that they're really, they ready to get get moving yet they're they're still on downtrends and they're still below these uh, these key moving averages so um no reason to get entirely bearish on this market uh, just yet mm-hmm. and you know a lot of times when we talk about either inverse or leveraged etfs a lot of times what we do at investors business daily is we look at the underlying to make our decisions on those leveraged or inverse ETFs. So for uh, SH, I mean, it is a little bit more clear to be able to look at the chart action here. But I mean, SQQQ, I know a lot of times, for for example, depending on like if if we've been in a strong uptrend, uh, it can get pretty tricky to look at these uh, charts. So it's usually better to make those decisions on the underlying um, when you're looking at leverage, even on a, a, a sector level, like if you're if you're going with a uh, lab U, that is the three times of the S and P uh, biotechnology index. I know uh, we were looking at uh, the the single for that. There's uh, IBB, and then the um, I, yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's no, this is the Nasdaq Biotechnology Index. But anyway, there's a there, XBI. Is, there you the, go. is the single version there of the uh, S&P biotech. So yeah, you, if you're looking at these triple leveraged, make your uh, technical analysis decisions on the underlying. Yeah, and you don't want to be, you know, adopt a, a bearish uh, outlook on, on the market unless unless the indexes are really giving you those uh, signals. And, right. you know, on uh, on Thursday, we saw a pretty bearish day for the stock market. That was when um, James Bullard, who's probably the hawk, most hawkish uh, Fed uh, president, came out and said, you know, he could possibly see a 50 point uh, increase. But uh, you want to you want to watch the action in the market and pay attention to higher volume declines. I mean, we really try to keep our, our, uh, when we're observing market health, we try to keep it simple um, just by looking at higher volume declines. Since we've been in this confirmed uptrend since January 6th, we've, uh, we've only had three um, higher volume declines on the S&P 500 and, and two for the NASDAQ. So that's not going to get us totally worried about this uh, market. However, if we do start to see you know, distribution days pick up, higher volume declines, big, uh, big percentage declines in higher volume, then we get a little more cautious uh, on the market and, and might, uh, might consider uh, one of these uh, inverse uh, ETFs. But uh, right now, still a little too early, especially as we see the, the queues here are still holding above the 21-day line and just making, um, just making a, what looks like a normal test here. Mm-hmm. And in addition to your leverage and inverse versions of the S&P and the NASDAQ, of course, you have 
DAO ETFs, you have Russell 2000 ETFs. Uh, like we said at the top, there's there's literally an ETF for anything. And if there's uh, one you're interested in, just a, a quick Google and you will see what those are. You know, if you're looking for a travel ETF you or an airline ETF, airline stocks uh, made a move towards the beginning of the year. If you're looking for artificial intelligence exposure, if you're looking for exposure to... I don't know, Ken, cybersecurity stocks. I mean, there there really is an ETF for everything. There is. And, you know, I, I actually would like to take a look at the the, the, the Dow Jones uh, ETF DIA because if tech, tech stocks have come under uh, selling pressure, you can see the, the DIA is uh, itself making a, a pretty, pretty key test here. You can see it came down, uh, it came down to the 50 day moving average. Uh, uh, on you know Friday Friday morning and has already climbed off lows. So while you've got some pronounced selling in the technology space, you've got blue chips all of a sudden that are maybe getting more interesting. So DIA for people looking to go long the Dow, you want to see it find support at the uh, at the 50-day moving average. So it's making a, a a good fight there right now. And then another uh, industrial uh, ETF. This is uh, XXLI. It's also uh, I believe a spider. Mm -hmm. um, the industrial select uh, sector spider. So DIA is a price weighted ETF. So UNH and Goldman Sachs are going to be the, the heavy weighted stocks here. But, you know, XLI, you can see has a has a really different look than uh, than DIA here. This is in a pretty, pretty decent uh, setup. It's still showing uh, relative strength, still holding comfortably above its uh, short term moving average. So you have two blue chip ETFs here, DIA and XLI that uh, just look a little different because their their holdings are are different. So uh, at this point, looking for a good blue chip ETF, uh, we give XLI maybe a little bit of a nod over a DIA right here, just mm. because it uh, it's showing better, uh, better relative strength at this point. Yeah, great point there, Ken. And before we move on to touch on other points that we want to make about ETFs, uh, there's a question from Mike on uh, elaborating the risks of using inverse and leveraged ETFs uh, beyond short term periods. You have that issue of contangos with uh, contango with the leveraged ETFs, even if it goes sideways over time, just due to the nature of how these are, are structured uh, to be leveraged funds. So can you comment on that? Well, I mean, leveraged ETFs uh, aren't for aren't for everyone, and and in fact, uh, I, I, we we rarely use them uh, on the on the leaderboard uh, model portfolio. I mentioned uh, back in late uh, 2020, we did use uh, UPro, but I mean, we had a chance to use a, a leveraged uh, ETF uh, when the when uh, the market followed through on January 6, and we got that that first uh, buy signal from the indexes. But the reason uh, we did not go with uh, with a leveraged uh, ETF was we we were just uncertain if stocks were really ready to uh, to start a new uptrend. So last year, uh, we saw several follow-through days that had really had a hard time getting going. They were almost always met by uh, distribution. So this time around, uh, we didn't even want to go near a leveraged uh, ETF. We just went with a, a basic uh, RSP, RSP, which is, like I said, was the equal-weighted version of the S&P 500. Um, and I think leveraged ETFs for most people are are not a great uh, great thing. They're, they're very volatile. Uh, they're popular because it's, you know, it's it's like it's almost like to, to me, it's like, you know, you a, a, a easy way to make quick money in the market. And that's always very, very uh, risky because uh, if you're in a good uptrending market, uh, yeah, it's great to make uh, three times um, uh, the S&P 500. But if, you know, we're in a volatile market 
right now where we can be strong one day and, and very weak uh, yeah. uh, the next. Um, you know, those uh, those uh, leveraged ETFs work against you and those losses mm-hmm. can pile up uh, quickly. So they're not for everybody. Um, I think they're marketed mm-hmm. for sort of savvy, you know, experienced uh, investors. And I think for, for generally new people getting involved with ETFs, probably not uh, not the best way to go. Yeah, you definitely need to know your risks and like you said, I mean, they're great for trending markets. These are not just buy and hold and and hope for the best because you can really get burned and proper portfolio management is paramount. You don't want to be holding and hoping while taking huge losses. That's, that's not what you want to do. You can, however, ride a trend if, if, if we're seeing an uptrend and you have a, a solid profit cushion but also follow those sell signals, as you mentioned, with those key moving averages to maintain those profits. Yeah, just a, a comment on the RSP uh, ETF here. Uh, really like the look of this uh, this pullback. So uh, you can see we've highlighted sort of the last breakout area for the ETF over that 150 uh, over that 150.20, and it has just kind of pulled back and is now testing, really testing that last uh, buy area, testing that 150 level. Uh, it's come off lows, so I like the, the pullback here too. So the the RSP is really not giving us any. Uh, uh, making us worried that we need may need to to get rid of this and and lock in uh, lock in profits. This looks like an orderly pullback uh, right down to a former uh, buy area, and it is just kind of holding that 150 level. So I think it looks still looks uh, pretty good here. Yeah. So we talked about the benefits of ETFs. We talked about how to track sector rotation and take advantage of themes that are working in the market by looking at ETFs. We've talked about leveraged and inverse and index tracking ETFs to get market exposure at key turning points. And we can also use ETFs to track market undercurrents like growth versus value. I know, you know we've been looking at ARKK as sort of a proxy for risk appetite and how speculative growth stocks are doing. You can also look at emerging markets, China, how other areas of the market are performing, commodity ETFs as well, like uh, you mentioned oil. So USO, USO, this is a, a proxy for the price of crude oil. GLD, we can also take a look at how gold is faring, uh, copper, you name it, again, an ETF or everything. But we like looking at these market undercurrents. Um, and like the dollar, this is something that we've been focused on a lot lately, seeing that inverse relationship between uh, the 10-year yield and equities as well as the dollar and your your growth and your tech stocks especially. Yeah, interest rates have been rising. Uh, the U.S. dollar has been has been rising, and this is uh, you know a bit of a, a bit of a trouble uh, spot for the for the stock market. But again, I think it's it's too early to get uh, bearish here. Again, we kind of just observe the market on a day to day basis and uh, make our decisions uh, based on that. But uh, yeah, you just went over a lot of different uh, a lot of different uh, ETFs here, but. Uh, this is the the UUP, which is uh, you know if you want to go long the U.S. Uh, dollar, um, you know this is uh, an ETF that uh, that you would want to uh, look at. I want to go back to CPER um, that sure. you pulled up uh, recently because uh, you know you tend to see copper do well when uh, op, you know you have China opening up. Uh, you've got uh, maybe. 
increasing uh, optimism that uh, we may not be headed for a, a long, drawn-out recession in, in the U.S. And uh, I'm certainly encouraged by the way CPER is 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 trading here. Again, just looking how these ETFs uh, react around key moving averages. Here was uh, an ETF that ran up to uh, to 26, and it's been kind of pulling back in orderly fashion and finding support right where you uh, right where you would expect it to. So uh, before we get uh, too too negative on a maybe a, a reopening of China that doesn't go as planned or get too negative about the health of the, the U.S. economy, uh, looking at CPER here um, still has a pretty strong technical picture to it. It does. And now before we get to some more audience questions, let's briefly take a look at some current ETFs that we have found entries for recently. We looked at SMH already. So just a reminder for those, we saw a breakout above a prior high and that happened on 123. So that was an entry there that traders could have taken advantage of in terms of taking profits into strength. Uh, perhaps shortly after was an opportunity to do that. We'll see if SMH can find support at the 21-day line, or if, if losses worsen, potentially a sell signal there. Let's also take a look at retail. You mentioned XRT, a really strong move for the retail sector from around 120 and 121 to a peak at uh, February 2nd here, Ken. So how might have traders played or could they play the retail sector? Yeah, so uh, XRT is an interesting ETF because it really does not own a lot. It doesn't own the WalMarts and the, you know, the Targets. It it kind of focuses more on on kind of smaller uh, retail names. Not not super speculative, but it does. Uh, it has like Sally uh, Sally Beauty SBH in, in the top uh, top holdings, but it's not an ETF that that focuses on the the mega cap uh, retailers. But that's good because sometimes you can you know get some pretty compelling growth stories in the small and mid cap names. So the pullback in XRT, and this is another name that's in the leaderboard uh, model portfolio. We put XRT on January 23rd and, um, and uh, it, it has really been an outstanding performer. You can see when it, when it pulled back, it, uh, it came, uh, it came right down to that, uh, that green line, the 21 day moving average and found support, you know, a tough, uh, tough day for the market on, uh, on, on Friday, but it is, uh, you know, down about three tenths of a percent, uh, still acting, uh, still acting pretty well here. So, um, uh, the XRT is, uh, you know, and this, this may be counterintuitive to a lot of people. Hey, I thought the economy was in, 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 uh, in, in rough shape and it's right. just only a matter of time before we're headed to a recession. Why would a retail ETF uh, be doing well? Well, so it's just why it's important to listen to the market. Uh, this is another ETF that's got a pretty, pretty strong technical picture still. Yes, technical is so important uh, to cut through the noise of what you know we're hearing headline-wise on the economic front. Because the same could be said for ITB. This tracks the U.S. home construction area, which we've really seen come alive in recent months as well, like uh, the broad market pulling back here today, testing support at its 21-day line after a strong move. This was an ETF that the team spotted early on in 2023, right, Ken? Yeah, in uh, in January, it's a little later than that, around uh, January 20th, I think, is when it, uh, it kind of pulled back to... Um 
pulled back to its 21-day moving average, and then it was up uh, multiple days uh, in a row. And, and now it's come back because of this kind of rising interest rate uh, narrative. Kind of disappointing to see ITB lose support at the the 21 day line uh, today, but um, and our our gain has uh, shrunk. But this is the kind of the technical action we pay attention to with ETFs. If we want to, you know, lock in a small gain here, we probably have a reason to do it with the break of the the 21 day line. We were kind of hoping it would uh, hold here, but uh, it could be a tough tide to swim against for these home builders if this 10 year yield keeps heading higher and uh, the Fed, uh, you know, keeps moving forward with um, this path of. Uh, interest rate uh, hikes. So uh, rising interest rates, typically not good for the home builders. And we're seeing that uh, sort of play out in the CTF now. That we are. All right. Well, let's go over a couple of quick questions from our audience before we wrap up today, Ken. So I'm just going through here to see what uh, we haven't covered yet. We kind of covered this maybe a little bit, but we could be a little more clear. There's a question about equal weighted ETFs. You believe those are better suited for moderately risk-averse investors than a, a standard ETF. Yeah, the reason we went with uh, with with RSP is uh, on January sixth. Again, when we first we first got that uh, that buy signal, we went with the equal weighted ETF because we just we didn't really want exposure to the normal SPY, which is market cap uh, weighted. We just went, rather have our risk spread out in the S and P five hundred. So uh, you know, there's not one company in the RSP that is having a a, a big effect on it. So um, we just felt like this was a better way to get exposure to an index going with an equal weighted index as opposed to a market cap weighted index. If you had a lot of market cap weighted stocks, um, you know, um, maybe a lot of large cap technology stocks in the S&P 500 uh, weren't really clear that uh, that those were ready to, to outperform. So we just wanted an equal weighted ETF uh, to just kind of spread our risk out and uh, not be overly exposed to, uh, you know, huge market cap companies. Thanks, Ken. Okay, a couple more rapid fire questions. I'll take this one. And the question is uh, from Jeff, do we have a list of ETFs for review? An easy place that I can think of just off the top of my head is if you go to investors.com and for the URL, you type investors.com slash live, L-I-V-E, FAQ, investors.com slash live FAQ. Scroll down to the bottom of that page. We have a pretty comprehensive list of ETFs that we like to take a look at and screen. That page uh, that it's going to send you to is all about our show, IEBD Live. But the main purpose I'm pointing you to that page is just to take a look at those ETFs if you are interested in a quick list of ones to add to your screening routine. Now, another question, Ken, that we have is what's the best way to add to ETFs that are in uptrends? Maybe there aren't a, a ton of pullbacks. I think that it, it would be great to, to have the patience to find a pullback, but what is a good looking pullback to buy or add to an ETF? What are some of the nuances there we should be aware of? Well, let's go back to XRT, which has, uh, uh, 
has been a pretty good, uh, pretty good performer uh, for us. And uh, and this is the the type of pullback uh, that we that we like to, to to see here. You can see it was a good uh, a good buy and a and a, a, a nice uh, strong heavy volume uh, move. And then it pulled down to the uh, the twenty one day moving average. So um, you know an opportunity to add uh, could have been on on that day. This is a, a half position. It's about a five percent weighting in the in the model portfolio. So whether an ETF ETF pulls down to its uh, to its 21-day uh, moving average. Uh, some cases they may pull down to the 50-day moving average. Uh, and you know, when an ETF finds support, you want to see you know you want to see a conviction bounce. So with XRT bounced initially, that is what I would call a conviction bounce. Didn't get huge volume behind the move, but you did get a nice percentage gain and a and a bullish uh, close near highs. The following day, it you know. Didn't give up any ground, closed uh, unchanged, showed, showed support. So uh, this this is an ETF that is uh, showing technical strength. We haven't increased the position yet, but the longer it holds above the 21-day line here, uh, more likely uh, we could probably increase it. Okay, great. Another rapid fire question for you, Ken. I forgot about the rapid fire part. Sorry. No, no, that was great. Okay. That was great. Uh, just a couple more here would be, what is the minimum liquidity or trading volume that you would like to see for an ETF? You mentioned some of them can be on the thin side. Yeah, so... With with individual stocks, uh, we typically like to see an average uh, daily dollar volume of at least twenty to twenty five uh, million. With ETFs, uh, we'll be a little a little more um, a little more lenient uh, with that. Maybe go down to the you know fifteen million or so. But when you're looking at an average daily volume, I would say a general rule you want to see probably an average daily volume of at least 300,000 shares, maybe 400, 500,000 shares, but definitely be wary because there's a large population of ETFs out there that trade less than 100,000 shares a day. So liquidity is important. Um, so average uh, daily dollar volume, which you get by multi multiplying the, the ETF uh, price by the average daily volume, if you're in that, that 15 to 20 million range, I think you're, you're, you're in the, fishing in the right pond. Thanks, Ken. Scott is asking, what resources regarding ETFs are available via IBD and where can I find them? Well, uh, we do have uh, ETF uh, coverage, like I said, in uh, in IBD uh, weekly, in the, in our weekly uh, print version, just like Barron's, we come out once a week uh, on the weekend. So good uh, ETF coverage there. And then right on the on the homepage, I think there's uh, uh, a link at the uh, research link at the top of the page can uh, can give you more uh, ETF coverage. Okay, and. Sal is asking, should ETFs be compared with the S&P 500 to identify relative strength? And how do you determine whether you go with an ETF or an individual name in the group? So say it's this is a sector ETF, like, like your SMH tracking chips or, or your TAN, maybe that's tracking solar or even one of the biotech ETFs versus an individual name. I think it really does come down to that relative strength. Yeah, so every every ETF uh, in our database, and you can see we're still looking at XRT here. You know, we 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 plot that that relative strength line, the blue line, and we just compare it to the uh, we just compare it to the to the S and P five hundred. So, and that is typically what a what a relative strength line does. It's always either comparing a stock uh, or an ETF and its uh, performance uh, against the S and P five hundred. In terms of individual stocks, buying individual stocks uh, as opposed to a basket uh, in an ETF. I mean, sometimes you know, the market is acting so well, um, 
you know, the, the, your growth screens are just yielding just buy opportunity after buy opportunity after buy opportunity. And there I tend to shy away from the, the ETFs and go with, you know, individual stocks that, you know, are likely going to have a little more, uh, a little more power. But, you know, if you're in a, in a market where, you know, breakouts are failing or at least breakouts are a mixed bag, uh, sometimes it just makes sense to go with a more conservative, uh, you know, like an SMH rather than try to make money in a, in video or an AMD, you just go with the SMH that's just, a nice big basket of, uh, of, of chip stocks. So it really depends on how healthy the market is, how healthy the bull market is. And even though, you know, we're in a, uh, we're in a fairly healthy market right now, again, the rising interest rate environment is still kind of keeping the market uh, honest here. And it's, uh, you know, it's a tough individual environment uh, to pick individual stocks. So I think overall, there's a, a reason why we have six ETFs uh, in the in the leaderboard model portfolio right now, um, just just as uh, mm -hmm. managing just managing our risk, basically. Right. And you know what? I inadvertently provided a URL that is behind a paywall and that was not my intention. I was not aware of that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'll put that list of ETFs on the YouTube version of this video. We'll put it on the Investors Business Daily YouTube channel by Perfect. end of day. So that is where people can check out that list of ETFs that I mentioned. So yeah, go go on over and subscribe to our, our YouTube channel and then you'll um, hopefully get a notification when this video posts there a later in the day and I'll include that link in the description. All right. Well, Ken, I know we just scratched the surface here, but that was a very fun conversation. Any final words as we wrap up here? I think sector uh, sector ETFs are, are the most uh, are the most exciting ETFs in general for uh, for investors. Whether it's uh, you know semiconductors or consumer discretionary stocks, the you know S and P has uh, eleven sector ETFs that we monitor on a daily basis. So still hoping the chip stocks uh, SMH can con uh, continue their uh, their outperformance here. Um, market looking a little shaky here, but the uptrend is still very much uh, intact. But uh, I would say for for new people starting off with uh, ETFs, keep it simple. Go uh, with index ETFs. You could go with a SPY, a QQQ, uh, a DIA. We mentioned XLI, which is uh, another good industrial uh, ETF. But uh, and then try to have uh, when you're when you're looking for sector exposure, go for the leading sectors, not the not the lagging ones. The leading sectors yes. are going to have good RS lines, and they're going to be you know trending higher, not uh, not lower. Great words to end on there, Ken. Thank you so much for your perspective today. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you back here next month for another special edition of Barron's Live from Investors Business Daily. But until then, we'll sign off. And there will be no Barron's Live on Monday in observance of President's Day. So please join the Barron's Live crew again next Tuesday, where Barron's Associate Editor for, for Technology, Eric Savitz, is going to speak with longtime tech fund manager and finance professor Paul Meeks on the outlook for technology stocks. So that's sure to be a good one. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you next time. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.